Welcome to the Rename Podcast. I am, as always, Jordan. This week on the show, we're going to talk about what's new in the world of pop culture with our news roundup and discuss the return of community under new uh, leadership and see what we think about that and how that show returned to us. So uh, with me on the show this week, we have Alex. Hello. Sam. Hello. And Chris. Yo. Um, so with that in mind, you should stick with us throughout the hour. And why don't we go ahead and get started on the news roundup? Uh, Chris, why don't we start with you this week? Okay, so uh, the story I'd like to talk about this week is the deal that HBO just signed with uh, George R.R. Martin. Uh, basically, he's going to stay on as a co-executive producer of Game of Thrones, which I don't think will surprise anybody. But he's also going to start developing some new shows for the network. Uh, whether these shows are going to be based on other novels that he's written or uh, not, or if it's going to be like original telev- original content, that's unclear right now. But... Um, I mean, I think this is kind of a mixed bag for fans of George R. R. Martin. I'm sure that everyone kind of who is loving Game of Thrones would like to see more uh, content from his mind on television. And uh, at the same, but at the same time, this also means that uh, his time is going to be a lot more divided now, especially when fans have been doing the math and thinking, okay, so it's taken him X number of re- years to write each. Um, subsequent entry in the song of ice and fire series what's going to happen when the show catches up to the books that have been written and there's still uh, a george R. R. martin novel that needs to be written before the next show can go into production so this doesn't exactly help that timetable at all but at the same time it's sort of exciting to see new george R. R. martin shows um any of you guys have anything to weigh in on this yeah um i think i'm sort of of two minds and i think it's you know the way that you laid it out, pretty much. On the one hand, uh, great. I like George R. R. Martin. I think he's a talented writer, um, and I, you know, I've liked other books of his that I've read, and I, in theory, would like other t- television from him. But on the other hand, I know that it takes him a while to get these books out, and I do have concerns on that front. And as a fan of the books, in addition to, to the television show, I'd really like The Winds of Winter to come out uh, sooner rather than later because um, I've finished book five, you know, a while ago, and I. I'm going deeply insane whenever it occurs to me to do so over what's going to happen next. So on the one hand, cool, more George R. R. Martin. On the other, I, I would love for him to get to the books. But I think, you know, we've talked about this before, and I think ultimately he's going to do it when he's going to do it. And if he's, he wants to do other stuff in between, I guess that's his prerogative. So cool, yeah. I guess. And he was a television guy to start with, so it's got to be very vindicated to, vindicated to him to be this in demand right now. Uh, I think that... This is it's too early to get really worried one way or the other because it the specifics of the deal haven't really been hashed out or uh, explored as to what they will actually mean for his workload going f- further. I mean, I could kind of see this as maybe uh, I mean, as I mentioned a, minute, a second ago, he is a television guy. He probably has concepts lying around that maybe it's just he kind of serves as a producer, sort of like overseeing other projects that people are developing on HBO under his brand, which I could see being a very workable sort of um situation going forward that wouldn't really take away from the uh pace of getting game of thrones to a point where the novelizations and the tv show are matched up yeah i mean i think it's completely possible that he could write the pilot for a new show and give someone you know a series outline and just sort of oversee it yeah totally um any other thoughts on this boys uh is it definitely going to be fantasy no there's been no word on what kind of shows it's going to be i mean no, i don't i all I know about George R. R. Martin is the Song of Ice and Fire series. Are these are these going to be based on other books he's written, or is this all he's done? He's done other work. Um, there's no evidence, to my knowledge, that he that any of them will be adaptations of his other books. Are they are they similar to uh, this series? Are they? Uh, it's. I mean, they're mostly like sci-fi and fantasy in some okay. way or other. <clears throat> I'm looking at his IMDb page, and it says the only other thing he produced was, uh, besides the TV movie, was the late 80s Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, he was heavily involved in Beauty and the Beast with yeah. the But, like, I don't see Game of Thrones as a TV show as, like, his baby necessarily. Like, it seems like such a big undertaking that so many hands are in there make, making sure that that's great that I don't think his involvement in, like, a new show guarantees success. Well, I mean, Game of Thrones is definitely, I would think it's it's Benioff and Weiss, the showrunner's baby, you know, and 
George R. R. Martin is involved in a conceptual level, and he's written an episode in both seasons. So, I mean, he's yeah. involved in the show, but it's not really his his thing. I don't think what I see him, his success in Game of Thrones being is that he's has a proven track record as a TV producer, but he definitely has a proven track record as an ideas man, which is, I think, the capacity in which HBO is looking forward to continue working with him, like him developing new ideas for shows and his involvement, whether it will be on the level of how involved he is in Game of Thrones or if it will be um, more or less remains to be seen. But I, I definitely am excited for new concepts coming out of the mind of George R.R. R. Martin, not necessarily new shows being run by him, which Game of Thrones isn't. Yeah, and I mean, I haven't I haven't personally seen The Lady is Beauty and the Beast, but I've actually heard some fairly good things about it, considering how ridiculous it sounds at first blush. I mean, like, I, kinda... I, I, I it I has hear Ron he, Perlman, so I mean, yeah. it can't be all bad. And I hear that he wrote, like, some of the episodes he wrote were very good television. So having not seen it myself, I can't comment, but there's every chance that his track record television is quite good. Yeah. I mean, I'll be interested to see what comes out of the mind of the Game of Thrones author. Um, I'm just more, I'm curious if it will affect the the book that he's writing at all or if it will just seem like yeah he writes you know a book every seven years yeah and i mean i i don't know how that'll work out i think i think honestly he works at his own pace and uh i imagine that finishing song of ice and fire is probably fairly high on his priority list because you know he's not so young anymore and he's made it very clear he doesn't want uh to do anything like Robert Jordan did when he passed away and let someone else finish Wheel of Time. He said, if I die before Song of Ice and Fire finishes, it will never be finished in novel form. So I imagine he wants to finish that before he dies. Tell that to Mario Puzo the 14th or whoever keeps <laughs> writing these Godfather novels. Wait, Mario Puzo isn't still writing them? What? <laughs> yeah, he's 306, Chris. I think I keep seeing like subway ads for new Godfather novels and it's like... Um... You know, Michael Corleone as a baby. <laughs> I'd read that. Godfather babies. Ooh. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. That would have been a great segue. We'll get some other baby jokes later in the yeah, show. That would have yeah. been a yeah, great we'll, segue. We'll certainly be talking about that, I think. Uh, but for now, anything else on Martin before we move on? Yeah. All right. Lost this optimism. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we move on to you, Sam, and talk about your news story for the week? All right, my news story for the week is revolves around my favorite Oscar nominee this year, Kwabajane Wallace, who is in talks to star in a Jay-Z and Will Smith. I think it's a Will Smith starring Jay-Z produced. I heard uh, that uh, Medea was in there somewhere. Tyler Perry. Yeah, that's the guy. That's <laughs> no, the one. Fake real personality. <laughs> he he changed his uh his stage name to Medea. Just Medea. <laughs> Thankfully, this is not a guaranteed failure already with Tyler Perry's attachment to it, or success, depending on how you define yeah. it. Um, let's let's be real. Depending on what color your skin is, I'm going oh. there. Oh. Well, I'm talking. I'm talking about uh, in terms of money, because Tyler Perry is a very rich man. He, his movies are extremely successful every time. Um, but for th this, this is a adaptation of Annie, which. I think just about everybody knows and has seen some iteration, whether on stage or screen or TV movie with uh, what's his face from alias playing daddy Warbucks. Victor Garber, or, my man. Playing daddy Warbucks. Or I think there was, I think the seventies movie, which is Carol Burnett. Yes. Curry. That, that's the most famous, or as I like to call Carol Burnett, Chris Trice in a wig. <laughs> <laughs> my, my dream was always that's to have Chris Trice so play nice. Carol Burnett. Um, Chris, someday we will have you play Carol Burnett in some. If type. anybody is curious what Chris looks like and can't find a picture of him online, just IMDb Carol Burnett. <laughs> Take off her hair. Put scroll on. Scroll down to hair. a picture when she was young, because she's had so much plastic surgery, and Chris is not at that point yet. Yeah, look at like like Carol Burnett show era Carol Burnett. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's pretty much a slam dunk. But anyway, back to Annie, which is most important of all. <laughs> don't have this kind of idea of Annie. I, I think I can talk about Chris looking like Carol Burnett for the hour. Um, if if we can get enough people to write in supporting your theory, I will do a video plug for the show in the character of Carol Burnett. 
All right. You've, you've heard it, listeners. If you want to email us at reviewnamed at gmail.com or tweet at us at reviewnamed and tell us, uh, if enough of you tell us that you'd like to see Chris as Kale Burnett, we will do a video pr- promotion for a future podcast with Chris playing the role of Kale Burnett. So get on that. Also, <laughs> something I didn't know about, it was, it was the 1982 Annie. I thought it was 70s. Early 80s is pretty much the 70s. Um, it was directed by John Huston. I did not know yes. that. Yes, it was. That doesn't seem it doesn't seem like his fair, but it had a, but it had a great cast and it was like it's a really solid movie as I recall. I haven't seen it in years, but it it was Tim Kerr, Bernadette uh, Peters, and Carol Burnett, right? They're all I'm thinking yep. correctly. They were all, yeah, and they're all fantastic. And a- a- Annie was played by Eileen Quinn, who is still alive, luckily. Well, in the '80s, so it would be kind of sad if she wasn't. Her last movie was in 2010. It was called Multiple Sarcasms. She played school secretary, which doesn't bode particularly well. (laughs) Don't worry, the film is about a school secretary. She has no name, and she's very sarcastic. Um, But I think I think it's uh, it has potential to be an interesting take. I don't know if Kwajene Wallace could sing at all. That would probably be important to figure out. Um, Although, who knows? Maybe they're not doing it as a musical. It would be weird if Jay-Z was, like, producing it and presumably involved in some other way, um, and it wasn't musical. But for, for the record, I don't see uh, Medea's name in here anywhere, nor do I see Tyler Perry's. So I don't know where <laughs> I got that idea from. Because of your racism? Shut up. <laughs> Just your racism. You're like, what? Black people are in it. It must be a Tyler Perry movie. You are taking this to a whole new level of inappropriateness that this podcast has never seen before. Congratulations. That's, that's not true. This podcast has been far more inappropriate. <gasps> not at a personal level. Oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm just personally wounding you, and for that I'll I'll be punished later. It's, it's, it's not wounding me. It's slandering my good name, and you'll be hearing from my lawyer. <laughs> but, but Alex, I thought I was your lawyer. I need to talk to you about that off air. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a real lawyer take a look at the contract you made us all sign, Jordan. <laughs> it, it will not. Be <laughs> I wrote that thing in crayon. <laughs> we know. That's why our first clue that something was wrong. <laughs> we signed it anyway. It also just said contract. My name's in yellow. Mine's in blood. <laughs> it's a very sharp crayon. Yeah. Um, so we, about? we were talking about Annie. <laughs> Annie. Is Will Smith playing Daddy Warbucks, I assume? Potentially. I mean, I think he's in it, and he's the male lead, so I don't think there are really other, any other options, right? Well, the, the original thing was that his daughter was going to star in it with her, with him. I think she aged out. She did, and that's why they're bringing in Hush Puppy. <laughs> Good. I can't, I can't. We don't need another Smith kid running around the movies. <laughs> if gonna have it anyway. can sing, I think she would be a fantastic Annie. And I will be very excited. This is like, if Beasts of Southern Wild isn't enough to make her a star, a successful turn in a remake of Annie will probably get it done. And this girl deserves to be a star. So and she's I'm, getting work. I mean, she's already getting more work than that uh, Whale Rider chick. Remember her? I do. She was in Whale Rider. She was like 13. She got nominated for an Oscar. And then what did she do? She did like uh, that Jesus movie. Space. That's what she did. <laughs> you know, what's it called? The Nativity Story. Yes, I was like, Ooh. I don't think she was in Passion. No, she was in the the Nativity Story. Ah, uh, yeah. The other side of the Jesus story. It isn't Whale Rider. No, wait. I don't know. Fuck it. <laughs> After Whale Rider, she was in Star Wars Episode Three as the Queen of Naboo. Oh right, she was the Queen of Naboo. But then she didn't do anything else. Well, that's sad. So hopefully Wait, you're saying Star Wars Episode three killed someone's career. You no, know what, Natalie Portman kept It did not kill everyone's career. How the hell do you go from an Oscar nomination to an unnamed character in the third Star Wars movie? Uh, well, it's possible she it's possible she started filming it before she was nominated. Three years. So Star, There's a three year. Yeah, but I don't know when Star Wars Episode three started filming. Or also, it came well, out in 2005. Yeah. She could have made it like Oscar. in 2002 or 2003 before she got nominated. The thing that excites me the most about this is the idea of Jay Z getting the opportunity to really like go back and rescore like all the musical classics. 
Like that is Jay-Z's Meet Me in St. Louis, Jay-Z's The King and I, Jay-Z's The Sound of Music. Well, see, this that's is... what I'm thinking is, like, I hope Jay-Z's involved in, like, rearranging the, the music to Annie, not just in a production role, because I think that would be interesting. And I know he's doing the music for Gatsby. Yeah. Up. He'd have to be. I mean, I don't really... I, I, I would think of that as an opportunity squandered if he wasn't. Yeah. And if, if so, yeah, I, I think that would be very interesting. I'm sure he will do cool things with Annie. He's a very talented musician. Does he have a director? Isn't he? Um, not that I know of. Hmm. The director? Yeah. The director is Will Gluck, who Gluck. directed... Easy A. Uh, Easy A. That was probably his most notable one. He directed Friends with Benefits and Fired Up, which was a cheerleading movie this about two like guys a... who I think sneak into cheerleading camp and try to bang everybody. This seems like a really Dude, strange... Based, work out based for them. on the college escapades of Sam and Chris, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was almost completely like a scene for scene adaptation of our lives <laughs> you Except guys replace, remember replace, that time you broke into this cheerleading camp sam yeah i was gonna say replace cheerleader camp with the couch in our apartment and replace cheerleaders we're trying to bang with boxes of chinese food we're trying to eat. <laughs> we're trying to eat usually we succeeded at eating that chinese food too well say what you will about sam and jordan but we ate a lot of chinese food we were fired up about it, too. We were fired up. <laughs> Ooh, Yay. Oh, man. That's pretty good. <laughs> that was basically the enthusiasm level. Yeah. <laughs> that was the sound of food being shoveled into our mouths as quickly as humanly possible. So I'm in I'm in favor of this casting rumor, and I am in favor of that this, this remake happening. As am I. <laughs> Yeah. Shall we Sounds shall we make like... this like parliament? Yes. We we can vote on whether or not we're in favor of the project. We have no say in. I approve this rumor. This, I will also give this the cautious optimism tag. Yeah. Um okay, are we are we about to talk Kravanjan and Annie? Yeah. I feel like I feel like we've exhausted that, so why don't we move on and I will talk about uh the new fascinating developments on Up All Night. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, the show began as a sitcom, a single camera comedy starring Will Arnett and Christina Applegate as new parents trying to adjust to how having a daughter changed their lives. Uh, it quickly lost its original creator for a new showrunner who mixed stories about their parenting with stories of Christina Applegate's workplace involving Maya Rudolph as a talk show host. After that, showrunner left, yet another one was brought in, and the show was written out to involve just Maya Rudolph, Christina Applegate, and Rudolph hanging out. That didn't work out well either. The show was removed from schedule to be retooled as a multi-camera comedy shot in front of a live studio audience. And at this point, Christina Applegate announced she will no longer be with the show. You would think that uh, NBC would take this opportunity to cut its losses and just cancel the show. Does someone have a broken heater? I don't know what the, that noise is. But yeah, that's very strange. Supposedly, um, NBC is pursuing Lisa Kudrow to bring her in and just blithely replace Christina Applegate with someone else who is blonde. This is all fascinating and hysterical to me. Um, even though in its first iteration, Up All Night was a show that I quite liked. Um, and would have watched for a long time had it continued to be a show about parenting and not gotten all caught up in the stupid workplace comedy and lost its way entirely. Um, any other thoughts on this? Did anyone else watch the show at any point? Yeah, I, I watched, watched a couple most of the first season. Yeah. Uh, and what did you guys think of it? Sam, what did you think? Uh, I never watched a full season. I don't think I ever watched back-to-back episodes. It was kind of something, if I was flipping through and it happened to be on, I think I stopped for a little bit. And it never was crazy good. I mean, it, it obviously it never captured my attention so much. That I watched it consistently. Um, I'm I'm more fascinated that they're going to keep trying to change the show up, get rid of main characters, completely change the premise. Uh, yeah, I'd kind of like the show to be on for like ten years, and it just keeps getting slightly tweaked until in the last season it's about like aliens on a spaceship fighting a galactic <laughs> war, but there's also a kid there. Well, it kind of <laughs> it kind of supposes you know that that there are there aren't really any fans of this show like the people who do watch just like don't give a shit or NBC just doesn't give a shit about them because there just isn't enough of them but for some reason they're keeping this show on the air it's kind of confusing 
maybe they, they, they just trust Will Arnett so much that they don't want to let him go. I think the idea is that NBC doesn't really have anything else going for it. And yeah, it has a show starring Will Arnett right now, who is in theory bankable, though I don't think there's any evidence of him being able to carry a television show. Uh, yeah. But in theory, people seem to think that Will Arnett means good comedy. NBC doesn't have anything else to do, so why not keep him? Although, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if the show completely falls apart now and it never comes back to air without Christina Applegate, because as much as they're saying they're forging on, this seems like a giant leap to just, like, write out the mother of a show about a mother and father. And well, the assumption is the assumption is it would get it would be almost just like starting, like, making a completely new show in that the people who were watching up all night, they were continuing to watch probably because they liked the show. So what they're doing now is completely changing the show and get rid of, getting rid of probably the main character. So that's going to alienate them, the people you, the few people you already do have watching. Right. And then they're counting on the fact that people are going to go like, oh, this new show that I've heard about is completely different. I'm going to jump on board. On it. So it wait, they're not, they're not just recasting. They're putting Lisa Kudrow in an entirely new role? No, I believe they're recasting. Lisa Kudrow will be playing the mother of the child. Okay. Wait, is that real? Is that actually happening? That, I mean, it's the rumor. Um, at this point, all that's official is Christina Applegate is no longer involved in the show. But NBC has not canceled it. And the rumor is that they are trying to just take her character and recast it as Lisa Kudrow. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. I would, uh, I would watch. I was going to say, I promise you that if that happens, I will watch the the new, probably incredibly broad, live shot in front of a live audience, Up All Night, starring Lisa Kudrow and Will Arnett. Now, will it will it carry over anything from old episodes? Would Maya Rudolph still be on it? I mean, as far as I know, the only thing that's changing is, A, they're shooting it in three-camera format in front of a live studio audience, and B, Christina Applegate is no longer involved. So I think it would be great if they... If, they carried over some storyline. I mean, I'm sure I it's they're not just particularly... daring, uh Christina Applegate is the idea. I think they're just pretending. Yeah, I think the show is just trying to continue on without skipping a beat, hoping nobody will notice that the main character looks very different. Yeah, but they're going to be, you know, there'd be references to old jokes or old things that happen to these characters, and they're going to just make them and... Yeah. I assume they'll at least reference the fact that the character gave birth to the child the show was ostensibly about raising. <laughs> I mean, they shouldn't really have like a lot of running jokes or anything. I was gonna I say, mean, I, 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 I assume it wasn't, ser- you know, a serialized. I, yeah. I was like the greatest thing about the show, to my mind, was the chemistry between Christina Applegate and Will Arnett, who, when the show was on, were like just a very funny, cool couple that I that I wanted to spend half an hour with a week. Um, it didn't really, you know, I never really cared about the workplace stuff. I love Maya Rudolph, but I never really cared about her on the show per se. I just liked it when it was Christina Applegate and Will Arnett hanging out, being a married couple who were kind of weird and kind of goofy and loved each other and wanted to raise their daughter. Um, yeah, but I, I think that was also the problem with the show in that it you couldn't fill up a full half hour with that premise because it was just so insular. I mean, they, it, it could only be about, you couldn't have more kids involved in the scenario because it's all about them being new parents. So ostensibly you have a sitcom about two people, whatever guest stars pop in for whatever episode. But whenever you tried to go to a workplace, either with um, uh, Christina Applegate's character or with Warnett's character, it just never really worked. It just felt sort of tacked on to the central premise. Well, so it was a show that, never really was able to find a comfortable identity for itself. What I what I think would have been an interesting way to do, and I actually think the show was moving <laughs> in that direction. I didn't watch regularly this season when it was on earlier in the fall, but I saw a few episodes. And it looked like what the show was trying to do was make was make uh Maya Rudolph's character and her boyfriend into like friends of uh the central couple and um, for lack of a better term, sort of Cougar Town the show, which is like, turn it from a, the, the idea of a show about new parents into the idea of a show about like these people hanging out together and also trying to raise their kid. Um, and that could have worked, I think. I mean, there are there are a lot of hangout shows on television right now um, to the point that like that may become sort of a cliche in and of itself in the near future. Yeah. I like a lot of them that are on right now, and I like the people who were involved in Up All Night enough that if they'd gotten rid of the stupid talk show and just had Maya Rudolph around being funny, I could have I could have envisioned enjoying a show about you know three comedians who I find hysterical hanging out. Well, I think I think the problem with the hangout show becomes after a little while is that it all becomes a little trivial. I mean, like I, I you won me over on Cougar Town. I watched through all of it and really enjoyed it, but there's never really any kind of stakes or 
drama to that. I know that's kind of weird to uh, criticism for a comedy, but you, when you compare it to some of the other comedies where you really enjoy Parks and Recreation, Community, there's always uh, much more meat at the matter, much more conflict. Um, exactly, a lot more conflict. Whereas the uh, conflicts in a hangout show are all by nature very, um, very small and can be uh, smoothed over very easily. And I, I think that was a problem that I had with uh, Up All Night from the start in that it was a show where I, while I was mildly entertained by it, I never really was given a reason to really care about it beyond that. I like the central characters, but I didn't really find their lives to be all that interesting. I don't necessarily, I mean, in general, I obviously enjoy shows that involve conflict because that's kind of the basis of drama and comedy. But um, Cougar Town has worked for me being a very low stake show for most of its run. I mean, occasionally big things happen to the characters, but for the most part, even that is fairly low stakes. You know, there's never like a the gang is going to break up episode that sometimes it's like these two characters are fighting and they resolve their fight. Um, but that sort of feels like real life to me, and I'm okay with that. Um, New Girl, which I I had been catch I've been catching up on recently. I've seen all the first season now. Is pretty much the same way, right? It's basically a hangout show. And to I think well, to a certain I, I would I would argue that if you're if it's a show about people in their um like 20s 30s sort of thing, that there's the inherent stakes are always like, are these people gonna make it like to a point where they're stable in their lives? And that's usually the stakes. And that a show about like established um, late 30s, early 40s somethings. Unless you want to get real, real dark about like, a, is the marriage breaking up or people losing their jobs left and right? It's generally they're in a much more stable position and there's less inherent conflicts in the status quo that's established. Well, that's one of the things that I like about Cougar Town, though, is it feels like a show that's different from most things on the TV because it's about yeah. people in their 40s who like they've kind of got everything figured out. I mean, like Bobby Cobb is still a mess, obviously. Yeah. But for the most part, these characters know where they are in their lives and they're just like, you know fairly happy living their lives, hanging out together and getting into misadventures. And I would agree with you that I like Cougar Town a whole lot, but I don't know that we need like another Cougar Town on air. That's fair. Um, either way, that's not what the show will become. <laughs> yeah, this is an entirely hypothetical conversation. Yeah. So at this point, it looks like this is going to be part of NBC's We Peacock Comedy Go Super Broad Brigade. I, I got a um, question about all this. I don't watch this show, but the thing okay. that kind of sticks out to me about this is that I'm not sure, like, how many shows besides, you know, like, The Voice and American Idol are filmed in front of a live audience anymore? Like, that huh? kind of seems like the interesting thing Maybe. that they're kind of trying to take oh, I met back. your mother. Yeah, I mean, like, a lot of, a lo a lot of the CBS comedies, in fact... I think all of them maybe filmed in front of a live audience. Two oh. Broke Girls as well, isn't it? Wait a minute. Is, is How I Met Your Mother filmed in front of How a Met live audience? How I Met Your Mother is great camera, but it's not filmed in front of a live right. audience. Right, okay, okay. Yeah, um, I'm but the Big Bang Theory is filmed in front of a live audience. Uh, I believe Two Broke Girls is. Two and a Half Men is. Uh, I Whitney? Think, Come on, Whitney you guys aren't watching Whitney? I think Mike and Molly is. So there, I mean, the three-camera sitcom is Man, critically maybe I just assume that died. Yeah, it's critically reviled at this point, and no one really talks about them. But it's most at life these on television are still three cameras at comms. All it's just flat lighting, like or single camera. How I Met Your Mother was the last great hope. Yeah, but even that, I mean, it wasn't a live audience. It was just three camera. Yeah, well, there was the argument for three camera. Yeah, and I think being, being I synonymous. Think I mean, they're basically. It wasn't live audience because it was doing some things that were very single camera, and that you know it was it was doing a lot of scenes in an episode, and it was just not feasible for them to have an audience in there because they were filtering through different sets really, really quickly. Right. So, I mean, that's the only reason it wasn't. It, otherwise, I think it would have been. Um, but that was, yeah, High Mention Mother was interesting. It was an interesting hybrid because of that. Um, but I'll, yeah, if Light does end up returning in this new format, I will definitely check it out just because I think this is fascinating. Uh, what about the rest of you guys? I like a good train wreck as much as the next person, so I'm curious to see what happens. Alex? I'm going to stay away from it. <laughs> Sam? I'm going to mark this down. Cautious optimism. Yay. Oh! Hey. For those of you keeping score at home, it's cautious optimism three. two. Three stories so far. I think it's three. three. Uh, I think Sam's going to be cautiously optimistic about the next story as well, but Alex, why don't you enlighten us on that? Chris Pratt is going to be the lead dude in Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn's uh, Marvel feature that is the next... No, wait, the when's it when the hell is this coming out? Is it after Thor? <laughs> yeah, it's a Thor. Is, Jesus. Okay, August first, twenty fourteen. I don't know when Thor Thor's probably what, summer twenty fourteen? No, Thor. Early is, summer. Um 
Iron Man is in May. Thor is in, I think, November of this year. Oh, shit. Oh, that's great. Thor, awesome. sorry, Christopher Eccleston. I was just going to say, Thor with Christopher Eccleston <laughs> and other actors. Uh, yeah, so a lot of names have been floating around. Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in there for a bit. Uh, Zachary Levi was in there for a bit. But apparently they settled on Chris Pratt from Parks and Rec and more recently Zero Dark Thirty fame. Um, Chris, being the comic book guy, do you think this he like kind of embodies what the Star-Lord should be? Which is his name, I should probably mention. But. Yeah. <laughs> you, um, you know, it wasn't a choice that uh, was on my radar. It wasn't somebody I considered when they were tossing around casting uh, rumors. But the more I thought about it, the more I really like this. Um, the character is, um, I guess the best way I can describe it is he, he's basically he, he's half human, half alien. And he's sort of thrown into this world where, like, after years and years, he's kind of become, like, a very experienced guy um, in the realm of, like, what's going on in the galaxy. And so he kind of tries to put together a team to hold the very uh, tenuous nature of our universe together, like all these different alien cultures that are warring with each other and uh, creating things that could destroy the entire universe. He tries to put together a team to sort of, like, keep the peace, hold everything together. So he's... Um, he, he's, he's very, uh, quick witted character, but also very much in that, um, I, I, I would almost say like, uh, Nathan Fillion-esque from Firefly at times, it's Ooh. sort of like trying to hold everything together with sort of <laughs> like a on wing prayer. Um, so yeah, I could definitely see Chris Pratt pulling it off. I mean, we've already seen that he can put on the weight to be like, sort of like an action star in zero dark 30. And we've already, we know he's got the comedic chops from parks and recreation. So yeah, uh, between zero dark 30 and Moneyball, and him being like a care, a favorite fan favorite in parks and rec, it seems like he has, is inevitably on his way to becoming, you know, big movie star number, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could see one this movie star in the world. <laughs> I, I, I know I could definitely see this as like a very um, uh, Captain America esque turn for Chris Evans. This being that for Chris Pratt and it giving him a starring vehicle and an opportunity for him to really step out as a leading man. So I, I I'm excited about the choice. I think it was a great choice, unconventional, but it excites me. And I think that he uh, Chris Pratt working with James Gunn is a combination that I want to see and I would hope other people would want to see as well. Absolutely. Do you think that like this is the big news or do you think that uh, who is surrounding him in the guardians of the galaxy team is going to be bigger, like a bigger deal or a more important decision than this? It's, this is definitely going to be the biggest news coming out here. I mean, I think you're going to see some unconventional names popping up and who fills out the rest of the cast, but just by nature of these characters, um, I, I, I think this is going to be a lot more of a focused team than an ensemble. The ensemble that Avengers was. I think this is going to be um, Chris Pratt starring in this in Guardians of the Galaxy with the others around him being supporting players. Now, uh, the, the other Guardians are like a talking raccoon and things like that, right? They're not all. There, there's a there's a talking raccoon. There's a yes. giant talking tree, and then there's two. Um, there's a uh, talking raccoon. Yeah. I feel like Rocket I feel like I could see this going very well um, if like because this all sounds like kind of silly to me. And if you have Chris yeah. Pratt in there, I think he can, you know, pull off silly in a way that is fun and but is, interesting. But is this is this comic book? Is it like is it cheeky, like kick ass or is it is it more straight faced? Um, I wouldn't say kick ass would be the best comparison, but no, I mean, it's. It's definitely isn't just like played for laughs and it doesn't take itself entirely completely seriously too. the idea is basically just that the space in the Marvel universe is such this weird, strange and out there place that a talking raccoon is one of the least strange things you're going to come across. Um, And the writers who have handled these characters have been able to uh, make you care about and take them seriously while at the same time mining some real drama out of them. Cool. Well, um, I don't know almost anything about Guardians of the Galaxy, but I do know you have told me, Chris. So basically, I'm excited to see Chris Pratt star in a movie, and like, I have enough faith in Marvel at this point that if they think this is a good next step, I'm going to check it out. So that's I, I wouldn't say I'm excited necessarily, but um, this is a movie that I'll definitely be seeing, and Chris Pratt, if anything, makes me more excited for it. 
I love sure. some Chris Pratt. I'm going to mark this down. Cautious optimism. Whoa. Uh, shocking. Mm. <laughs> Do we have anything else we want to say about uh, Star-Lord? Cool. All right. I know nothing. I am, I'm Right now, I'm only sold because I like Chris Pratt. I have no idea what I'm going to get. Ask me anything about Star-Lord. Ask you anything about Star-Lord? Ask me anything. Okay. Um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> is, is, is he an orphan? I don't know. Does he have parents? In I have the no idea. I'm asking Chris now. Uh, his his parents are killed at an early age. His parents are killed in an alleyway. Who would have thought? Oh no, no. His father, his actually, his biological father is still alive, but is evil. Oh, Ooh, oh, spoilers! I, like I bet he's the villain. I bet it's Darth Vader. <laughs> Possible. Spoilers. Is J.J. Abrams producing this? It does, yeah, it does sound sci-fi. <laughs> I think he's trying to get involved. J.J. Abrams is going to play the talking raccoon. The SS Abrams, is that their ship? <laughs> Moving um, on. Yeah, let's go ahead and move on. Close down the, the news roundup. And Sam, we'll toss it over to you to talk a little bit about the new season of Community. It's finally happened. It's finally October or whatever. October 19th. October 19th. Community is back. Minus a kind of important part in that Yay. it's the <laughs> debut of exact. I think that's exactly the reaction everyone has. Um, it is Community Sans showrunner Dan Harmon and creator Dan Harmon. Guys, what did you think of the premiere episode that had everybody coming back and talking about how things were slightly different? I'll start with Jordan. Jordan, what do you think of the premiere? Yeah, well, um, readers of the site know that I am covering this, the new season for the website. So if you want to read my thoughts in depth, you can check them out at reviewbename.com. But um, basically, in summary, I don't want to write the show off right off the bat uh, because I know that Moses Port and David Garasio um, have like a real challenge coming in, taking over a show that is really associated with Dan Harmon and doing something that's hopefully similar, but also kind of different because NBC wants the show to be more popular. So I know they've got a lot on their plates. Um, I know that I had very high expectations, probably made higher by the fact that I had to wait since last May and it was supposed to come back in October and it got pushed till last Thursday. So I knew this was tough going in. Um, and I also knew that I was going to be probably harder on it because I love Dan Harmon and I loved what he was doing with the show. That being said, I wasn't all that impressed with the new episode. Um, I thought it was not particularly funny. Um, it did some things very well and a lot of things I thought were kind of misconceived. So I, I gave the episode a C plus, and I think that's probably about where I land on it. It wasn't it wasn't worthless. Um, I will obviously be watching and reviewing throughout the season. And I, I think what, what we hope to see <coughs> is the new showrunners finding their footing and figuring out exactly what they want to do with the show and hopefully making something that is sort of like the community we know before, but also works with what they're hoping to achieve and is funny and interesting in some new cool ways. Um, so that's what I would say to start off. How did it, how did it feel to you? Did it, it feel wrong? It felt <laughs> sadly, sadly the only word I could feel use. dirty watching this. The only was word it like, was it like fucking if your girlfriend had an identical twin? <laughs> like it looked like her, like it was yeah, I was going to say in, in this hypothetical, am I, am I then having sex with the identical twin or is it just like yes. sex with my girlfriend who has an identical twin? You just never know if it's her or the identical, identical twin. twin. Like there's something wrong. Like it's not the same person. Right. Like, it's yeah, I think we could all, I think we can all agree that if I had sex with the identical twin of my girlfriend, it would not be the same person. Um, the, the word that I would use instead of this convoluted identical twin fuck, uh, <laughs> a scenario everyone can relate to. <laughs> I, I think it's perfectly apt. I would just say it's uh, it felt a little soulless to me. It felt like someone doing a cover version of the show. Um, like Jordan's girlfriend's identical sister, soulless and empty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's uh, the identical twin of my uh, of my girlfriend would be the evil one, obviously, because I would clearly be dating the good one. Also, she was she is the daughter of Dan Harmon in that he was the creator and showrunner of her life. But also, like, <laughs> create the twin. The twin was like genetically engineered by other people elsewhere. Exactly. Okay. Now I'm on board. I understand. Um, yeah, I think it felt soulless in a way. And I think a lot of what we saw now that I hope we get away from in future episodes is the new showrunners trying to do what Dan Harmon did very well with a lot of pop culture gags and a lot of references, um, but not really understanding what we liked about what Dan Harmon was doing, which is that all of these gags and, and parodies had thematic resonance with the story he was telling and Met, told us something about the characters uh, 
in the show we were watching. I think what Harmon did well was to mesh to mesh a bunch of genres together to tell a story that had real emotional uh, underpinnings and real stakes to it. And I didn't feel any of those stakes in this episode. I felt like it was just doing jokes for the sake of doing pop culture jokes. Um, and I didn't like that too much. Well, I thought they were trying to do that with Abed because clearly I think they're going to go to him for kind of the core emotion of the show, which is ironic because he's Abed, but uh, he's the one who's viewing this through the prism of it's a, he knows it's a sitcom and he realizes that this is senior year and it's probably the last year they're all going to be together. And he's kind of freaking out. My problem is, is I don't think it's, it was done that interestingly, maybe, maybe just me knowing that Dan Harmon isn't there and it's not going to be Dan Harmon's, you know, it's it's not going to be his last season if it is the last season. It's not going to go the way it's going to go. It's always going to feel kind of like a cheat to me. And after I watched it, I thought, oh, there were some funny things in this episode, and there definitely were some funny jokes in this episode. Oh, yes. I mean, um, if you didn't know that he wasn't involved, would you just watch it and say, eh, that was a bad episode? Uh, I don't know if I, I'd even call it, like, a really bad episode. I thought it was, like, okay. I mean, I felt I felt like maybe, I don't know, there was something missing. Yeah. Something I can't I just, even put I my just, fingers when I was watching, it, I just couldn't get it out of my head that I knew he wasn't involved. So I feel like that, like, you know, tinged my view of it. And that's why I don't want to write the show off right off the bat, because I feel like the instinct is to say, like, Harmon's not there. It's not the same. I don't want this. Um, yeah. I don't think that's fair because, you know, obviously we could stop watching the show. But if we're going to watch the show, and I plan to, I think it's it's only fair to give the new showrunners a chance to see if they can't make something that's going to be really good and interesting. Um, and I think, you know... Uh, the two made Aliens in America before, a, a sitcom that was pretty good, I think. I, I watched part of it, and I thought it was fine. They worked on Happy Ending as a show that both Chris and I quite like. Um, so they're capable of doing good things. And while neither of those things leads me to believe that they're necessarily the perfect choices for a community, I could see them making a show that is not the community we love, but that is eminently worth watching. Um, yeah, but isn't that going to be like much more painful? Because even if we do... If we look at it as even if we give it a chance as like a separate TV show and it is somebody else's te television show, we're gonna, there's no way we could not think about what would happen if Dan Harmon was running the show. That's true. We can't. I mean, we can't. We can try to, but I think it's impossible at this point to remove remove our knowledge of of what well, happened and who is not there. And you can't help but wonder. And if the show is not great. That's all I think I'm gonna be thinking about. All I'm gonna I know no matter what happens, good or bad, I'm gonna wonder, you know, what would happen if Dan was was still running the show. I agree. Where um, would these characters go? And at the same time it feels like kind of a sham. Like this isn't really what's supposed to be happening to these people. Yeah, and I, I completely sympathize with that, but it, I mean I think of it as, look, we got our three years with Dan Harmon. I wish he was still running the show, but he's not. I think he ended Community thinking that it was going to be the last season last year, and he gave it a very good ending. Um, I would have liked I, – obviously, I'd prefer if he was still running the show. I think it would probably be better if he was still running the show, but he's not. Um, and the show stars a lot of comedic actors that I completely adore, and it's still got some writers that I think are very, very talented. So it could still turn into something that's that's good. Um and, you know, if nothing else, uh, watching this episode, I saw Jim Rash do, like, some amazing physical comedy in the tango scene and just be hilarious. You saw Donald Glover and Gillian Jacobs do some awesome physical comedy in the fountain scene, and Glover do some great improvisation. So, I mean, there was some really good stuff in this episode, even if the sum of its parts was not all that great to me. I mean, just as long as the characters of Troy and Abed stay true to what the first three seasons were, I think I'll be pretty happy. I mean, I kind of hope that everyone will stay true to some extent. I mean, that, I mean, that's more like the actors, you know, the actors game at that point. Like they can say, no, this isn't how my character would do this. You know, they have a feel for how they should. And be I think acting. I mean, one of the problems that I had with this episode was a that the stakes felt completely artificial because you never really felt like Jeff was going to fail at any of his trials that he was doing the stupid hunger Deans thing. Um, like there was, they never gave that story any oomph in terms of like Jeff has to win and he might not. It was just like Jeff doing a bunch of silly things and then winning. Uh, and that bothered me, but also it felt like the, they completely ignored the huge emotional breakthrough that Jeff had in last year's finale where, you know, he says doing things for other people is good and I want to keep doing that. You know, they, they sort of overwrote that immediately, uh, with the idea that maybe he's trying something new with this, with this, uh, selflessness that I think wasn't really all that new like it's it's kind of a hard-earned selflessness that we watched develop over the first three seasons of the show um and i think that was kind of underwritten but hopefully that you know 
I think a lot of this can be chalked up potentially having only seen the one episode to first episode jitters by a new team. Um, obviously, I'm not sure that it will get better, but I, I, I'm trying to stay in Sam's words for this week, cautiously optimistic that the show might do some things that are worthwhile. Can I just say, though, can I just say something for me being cautiously optimistic? Yes. This is this five? This number I, five? I am not cautiously optimistic. Oh, no! Yes, I know. The perfect streak is broken. No, I mean, oh, honestly, if, if, if we're being honest, neither am I. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm, I, I'm trying to maintain optimism, but this episode... Did, did more of the things I was afraid the show would be like after Harmon left than it did things that surprised me and made me excited for what the show might be like. I mean, this show, like, it it, it looked like community, and sometimes it sounded like community. It smelled but like community. It definitely smelled it like community. It didn't feel like community. <laughs> it didn't. I don't, I don't think it did. You, I know, you know what it like felt like to me? It felt like, it felt like they produced a spec script that someone had sent in for, like, I like if, if this had been the new showrunners had like sent them a spec script for like what they would do with community like that, that's what it felt like like a like a writer's audition for comic community and I mean based on that like I I would have if I was in a position of hiring somebody I would personally I, I would have brought them on like yeah you guys kind of are vaguely in the well, right direction we'll work well, out the kinks we'll bring you on we'll train you but now these are the guys running the show well so, this was written by andy barbara who's been on the show since i think either the beginning or the second season I, no i don't think I mean, so I, th- I think he's a relatively inexperienced writer barbara has been around um he wrote the uh the um documentary episode last season the um ken burns style episode he's been um, around so and I, I believe he wrote uh some season two episodes as well really yeah i, I He's actually he's actually a, a friend of a friend um, oh. to name drop on the podcast. I have never met him at all, but okay. I know someone. Wow. I found no, I found this out this week actually because he was like, yeah. "Hey, Andy Barbaro is writing the uh, the episode, and I know him." Yeah, on Community, he's on his IMDb page. He's listed as a producer going back to September 2010. Okay. What episodes so. has written Sam while you're there? Uh, the earliest episode he wrote was Basic Rocket Science uh, from October. Was, uh, an okay episode, um, but a, fairly solid. Well, I, I mean, I'm just going to maintain what I said. Like, this episode still felt like a spec script. It, it, it felt like somebody trying to emulate the community style rather than actually writing in it. Um, no, I, I with the point. Even though, I mean, Barbaro's written some good stuff for the show yeah, before, but I would say. But I think that stuff was filtered through the lens of Dan, Dan Harmon. Like, I'm pretty sure Dan Harmon had more than a few polishes on what he wrote. Sure. Like, this yeah. is. And Harmon like, I think like edited the, the scripts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I, I think there was also, there was also a decent amount of things to like in this episode. Like, I, I want to be completely negative. I, I think it was definitely one of the weaker episodes of community, but there was definitely stuff I liked about it. Um, the stuff you mentioned about Jim Rash, uh, I like the gag of Abed recasting Pierce. In oh, his I wish I was really hoping scene. that was just going to, you know continue like knowing that uh chevy chase isn't in it anymore i was hoping that they were just gonna yeah. replace him with fred willard and not say well, things chevy chase is in all but two episodes this season you know he left out uh after shooting most of the season uh, i wasn't yeah. sure how much of it got shot before he did uh but there's that's not to say that they won't do some gag like that in the future when he's gone how although would it be? i assume he probably won't i think we've what since every episode there's a different actor playing chevy chase in like abed's head <laughs> Um, I, since we last talked about Chevy Chase's departure on the show, I think they have confirmed that he filmed the final episode of the season before leaving. We weren't okay. sure about that last time. So he, yeah, I don't think it was in order. They were. Yeah, he will be in the last episode if season four ends up being the last season, but he will not be in uh, two episodes throughout the season. I don't really care too much one way or the other. I mean, <laughs> given what we know, like I, a normal thing. it's just very, it, he's not the most integral part of this cast. He's not, he's he was a welcome part of it when he was, you know, playing ball with the others. But given the stories we know about how terrible he is to work with, I'm not. Chris. Oh, <laughs> Chris died. Right. On the well, um, we will, we will see if we can't get him we back, could, but uh, I... we'll pick up on his thought. If, if we get him back, I, but... hey, 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 where did I cut out? You said uh, knowing what you know about Pierce. Oh, yeah. well, well, knowing what we know about Chevy, um, Chevy Chase is what he's done behind the scenes. I mean, he was knowing that he's that hard to work with. And it's it just he's not that integral to the ensemble that they've established. I won't be very terribly sad to see him go, knowing how he was much, much more of an obstacle in the, in the first season. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think when Harmon was writing the show, um, he always had something for for Chevy Chase to do. Um, and even though like they were really antagonistic toward each other, I think I think Pierce was a was a character that was important at certain points in the series run, and I think he had important things to add to the cast. But without Harmon there to guide the ship, um, and with how awful Chase continued to be, yeah, I I, I think that the show will be fine in the two episodes it's going to la- have without him. Mm-hmm. And if the yeah. show if the show continued on, I don't know that I'll necessarily miss him. We'll have to see how he's used in the new in the new. Format. I mean, his character basically just became like, if they need an antagonist, he's gonna antagonize. That's all his character became, like towards the end of this, uh, this three seasons. Um, I mean, I think I think there's a little bit more to it than that, but basically, at at worst, that's exactly what he looked like. I agree. I mean, uh, about halfway through this new, this first season or fourth season, first episode, I was, I found myself wondering, are they like? Are they intentionally just kind of making this extremely meta to do a commentary on all the fallout from Dan Harmon? Like saying, you know, things change, but it's okay because, you know, we're all together still. And like, yeah, I think yeah. that's what they were doing. Yeah. I don't know if um, I appreciate that. The biggest problem that I had was the, uh, was the, the conceit that like Abed was imagining things as a sitcom. It was like a broad laugh track based sitcom. And like that's fine and dandy as a joke. But my problem was that the jokes outside of that conceit. We're about the same broadness and quality level as the jokes inside yeah. the fake sitcom. You mean you didn't like the Hunger Deans? No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> and I, like I said, I think some plot lines worked for me. I think the the very brief uh, Britta and Troy at the fountain thing was very funny and worked for me. Um, and as much as I kind of wish Dan Harmon was controlling it, I'm okay with the idea that Britta and Troy are dating now. Like, I think that could be an interesting way for the show to go. Um and I think that worked out fairly well. You know, basically, Gillian Jacobs is an incredibly talented comedic performer. Donald Glover's a great improviser. Uh, and they, you know, fighting in the fountain, him freaking out and screaming, and her, like, attacking him was hilarious. So at, at bottom, I think, like, that worked for the show. Um, and if they can do more like that, then it'll still be funny, and I'll, you know, enjoy that to an extent. <laughs> I thought the... Um, I didn't really like the the Allison Brie dropping hints about like how she likes Jeff. Like usually I think that was done like a little bit more, you know, with a little bit more subtlety. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. whole Annie Jeff relationship thing. And this episode, she was just like flat out like, Oh, maybe Jeff will ask me out or Jeff will want to do this with me. I don't know. It seemed a bit obvious. And I also like, I don't. I don't know that I. I like. It just seems kind of out of nowhere that she's changing her major in theory, or like thinking about changing her major. Um, not that I ever really cared about her as a hospital administrator per se, but I did. It's, it's just like it's giving her something to do. I think in a way that Annie has things to do if the show writes her correctly. Um, and to be fair, Dan Harmon had trouble giving her things to do as well. Um, but I think that at at best she has a lot of things to do, and she doesn't necessarily need a shoehorned in storyline about her her academic direction. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think lack of subtlety is probably going to be the, the watchword going forward. I would have almost preferred seeing a plot line that was a little bit more toned down and normal for the show before. I mean, the the Hunger Deans is just so they got some good moments out of it, but it's just so like over the top outrageous that it, it was almost like a distraction. Like we we are, we're not completely comfortable writing these characters yet so big physical comedy to, to distract you and draw attention away from that fact yeah but it was really only jeff i mean i don't i don't think i have a problem with the broadness of that i mean you could say that any of the paintball episodes is they're equally broad in concept at least execution is completely different but in the concept are, are both pretty broad yeah, but I think, I think, I think Dan, Harmon worked, Dan Harmon worked up to that. Like he, he worked up to that level. Like he started small and then like expanded. I, I would have um, I, I kind of would have preferred getting having an opportunity for the writers to slow things down a little bit, reassess the situation and then ramp up to the wild zany silliness. Like I, I hope that the Hunger Deans is not indicative of what we're going to expect from the community going forward in that it was like, they look back at the big set piece episodes, like the pillow war or the, um, the paintball episodes. And there's something like that. They try and emulate in every single episode. 
I think my big problem, as I as I, I believe I said earlier, with the Hunger Deans plotline was more there weren't there was no stakes to it. Um, yeah. Like you knew that Jeff had to get all the balls, but there was never there was never a moment in the episode where it felt like Jeff was not going to succeed at this. They just kept cutting to him getting the balls. Um, I think I think I think the Hunger Deans things was it was kind of like a slight. It was not the focus of the episode really. Yeah, but I mean, if you'd given it stakes, it could have done something and. It, no, it didn't do much. And as you say, it wasn't the focus of the episode, but I feel like the, the episode didn't really have a focus. Like, ideally, yeah. I think they were going for Abed being the focus, but I never felt like he was the emotional center of the episode. Um, I didn't feel like the the Shirley and Annie thing was anything more than a runner, and obviously the Berta Troy thing was a runner. So you, yeah. so really, I think you had a bunch of things that worked better as subplots or had no real emotional stakes of them shoved into an episode together. Um, and none of them cohered as a lead plot to me, and none of them cohered emotionally for me, really. Which, again, I think I think sounds more heavily critical of the episode than I intend to be. Like, there were problems here, but there were also good things. I mean, I think... I mean, I think the Abed thing, it just... It, it seems like something uh, that community would have done in the past. It just wasn't done particularly well. Well, it felt like almost a cover... Like, again, I think it a was. cover version of uh, virtual systems analysis, right? Like, the Dreamatorium episode with Abed and Annie. Yeah. Like, yeah. this was basically the same exact plotline where Abed goes inside his mind, and it's a problem, but then, like, through the force of friendship, they manage to bring Abed back. Like, it's basically, that's the plotline again, except Virtual Systems Analysis is an awesome episode, and this was not. I think, that it, I mean, I'm hopeful for it. I think they'll kind of, once the dust settles and everyone stops really getting on their case about not being Dan Harmon, I think that they will find a good balance to strike and, you know, keep the show going for at least a couple, a couple more seasons. And I think we'll be happy with it when it's all said and done. So you think the show will last beyond season four? Yeah, I think there'll be a fifth one, at least a fifth, maybe a sixth. And I think the sixth would be the last if it gets there. The premiere received some of the highest episode uh, ratings in, at least in the show's recent history. Yeah. And uh, I wouldn't put a ton of stock in that though. I well, a like we have to. I'd say we have to wait a few weeks because um, people, a lot of people probably checked out, you know, the new showrunners or like the new return of the show. Um, and maybe I mean, this had it had it had like controversy surrounding it within like the community community, and and the fact also that it had been delayed so long, I think, kind of just built but also, up. Also, this was like it was uh, promoted as like a new broader version of the show, I think, in most of the ads. So there's a chance that new viewers stopped in who in my experience when communities ratings go up because new people stop in, they usually do not stick around. <laughs> um, but that being said, Alex, I think as we talked earlier, uh, up all night, NBC does not want to let go of because it doesn't really have anything. And I think that may help community out. You know, if, if the ratings stay even somewhat decent, this, this network doesn't have a whole lot going for it right now. And they may keep community on, on the schedule next year. Like this, as much as I think this will probably be the last season still, there's a decent shot, I think, that this will not be the last season and that we may have to get used to a new regime if we want to keep watching the show. I'm worried about what happens if this becomes like what happened with Scrubs or what, what happened with How I Met Your Mother. What if you know, Community's time was just up? And maybe it was maybe it was done a little bit prematurely because you know Harmon was booted, but what if his time is up? Maybe it's not supposed to go on. Maybe it's going to be like bad, and we're going to hate community. What if that, that happens? I think that would be horrible. I think if that happens, we will always say, "Okay, well, we had the Harmon seasons." You know, I yeah. I sort I, of have a last. Yeah, but, people, but you know, like you know what happens. I mean, we can't talk about we can't talk about Scrubs without talking about how shitty it got, and we can never. T- I mean, I don't think it'll ever get to the How I Met Your Mother because How I Met Your Mother is like <laughs> dreadfully terrible. See, I, I don't. It's like a, a, a slow moving train wreck, and on the train is everyone I've ever loved. <laughs> Stabbed while they're in this. Like, I mean, getting shot in the face on the train. It's like I think you know, with a show like The West Wing, you know, what if I I don't think it would have been a horrible thing if The West Wing ended with uh with Aaron Sorkin leaving. No, I mean, granted, it it wouldn't have had uh like a neat conclusion, but at the same time, you know, it took him the the season after Sorkin left was pretty bad. The two seasons then, after him were fairly bad. The first, yeah. like season five, was really bad. Season six was was bad to mixed. 
I mean, I liked, but uh, then, liked the but then we got season seven, which to be honest with you, I thought was a pretty decent ending for the show. Maybe I, not the ending I wanted, but it was decent. I think the West Wing got better after Sorkin left when it stopped being the West Wing, really. Right? Like yeah. the parts of the show that we liked the best in the post yeah, were when they were the thing. West Wing. With with Community, they're gonna try to they're gonna try to make a Community. They're gonna try to do they're gonna try to do Dan Harmon like. They tried and failed to do Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, and because we, that's it, what they think everybody wants, I don't or think, at least that's what they think the fans want. I don't think it'll get to a level of being a bad show, though. I think it'll just get predictable. Maybe, but that's also kind of bad. Yeah, I way. mean that's sort of it's bad in a different way. Yeah, but we always loved for how risky it was. It's like it's like it won't get bad. It'll be mediocre, but that's that's sad in its own way. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of like Walking uh, Walking Dead. I think at this point, even if, if Community ends in season four, if it goes on for several more seasons, we will always talk about the show in terms of Harmon and post-Harmon. Like, that's sure. that's inevitable. So sure. um, I think the Harmon era of the show is very solid. I had my problems with the back half of last season. You know, I don't think Dan Harmon was the perfect showrunner by any stretch, but I think what I loved about the show was what he brought to the table. Um, and I don't know that the new showrunners will be able to replicate that. They may still make a show that's watchable, you know. West Wing got bad for a while, but I never stopped watching it, and, you know, I've watched it again since. Um, and if if Community can get to the level of, of producing a sitcom that's of the quality that West Wing's seventh season was, uh, then okay, like, great. I'll enjoy that. Um, I think it's probably about time to wrap things up, but why don't we... I want to ask one final question of you, which is, do all of you plan to continue watching the show, or are any of you jumping off after this week? No, I'm going to keep watching. Yeah, I think keep. everybody's going to keep watching here. Yeah. Okay, and let me, ask, let me ask the follow-up to that, which is, if the show lasts about the fourth season and is somehow renewed, will you do, you, do you think you'll just keep watching the show, or is it contingent on how the show proceeds this season for you? Uh, Chris? I think I would have to reassess after this season. I, I think I will watch this season to its finale, but depending on where we are at that point, if it does continue, I'm going to reassess at that time. Okay, uh, Alex? I'm going to keep going. I mean, I'm going to keep watching it through... Unless it gets offensively bad, I'm just going to keep watching it until it's over. And, you know, I'm going out there and I'm saying this show is going to go for six seasons and be done. So, you know, when it gets canceled after the fourth, we can come back and say how stupid I am. But <laughs> Sam, what about you? Uh, I think I'm with Chris. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reevaluate after this season. I, I can't say... If only they had a plot line where we found out who was the mother of Abed's children, I would probably stick around till the end. God, if they but, did a uh, high much another episode, I would be so happy. <laughs> that would that would be an interesting episode, certainly. Um, um yeah, I, I, I think I'm I'd I'll have to reevaluate as well. Although part of me thinks that if the show is even sort of decent, I'll keep watching it because I, I, I know that if the show like if I'm not crazy about the show, I will probably stop writing about it after season four, because I think I'll have all uh, I'll have said all I need to say about the new team by the time the season is over, and if yeah. not if I'm not loving it, then I'm I may be done writing about it, which will be sad in its way. But I love this cast, you know, and I think they're incredibly talented, and I want the best for all of them. So I think as long as this ensemble, which is one of my favorite ensembles in recent years, is still together, that'll probably be enough to keep me involved. So I'm I think I'll side with Alex and say I'll probably watch the show as long as it's on, um, and. You know, I don't know that I hope that it goes on past the fourth season at this point, but if the show is reliably decent, then I may be rooting for it to not get canceled. Reli um, community, reliably decent. Put it on the box. <laughs> um, so I don't Beauty think any games. of us – I don't know that any of us are cautiously optimistic uh, as, no, as we've pointed out. No, definitely yeah. definitely more cautious than optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> but that being said um, – I think we're all going to be watching for now, so hopefully. We should talk about it at the end of the season. See. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah, well, let's do that. Let's talk about it again at the end of the season. Um, never in between. Yeah, we will never mention the show until the season is over. Never. Yes. We will only mention How I Met Your Mother in every single podcast. For a show we hate so much, I always love talking about it. Oh, uh, and reason. as much as I, we talked on the show about how I plan to stop watching, and I wanted to stop watching, I keep getting pulled back in, and I have not stopped watching the show. So, guys, it's the last girl before he meets the mother. His last well, they horrible have, mistake. Okay, look, if we're gonna talk about this for a minute, we can at least say they have announced that he will meet the mother at the end of eight season eight. Like they made that clear a few episodes ago. Yeah, but Is then the rest of season eight? nine will be a flashback. Like I. 
Season oh, nine yeah. will feature a six episode arc where they will go like in real time, take you through the wedding of Barney and Robin. <laughs> And, yeah, you never you never know, but they like they've said the finale will introduce the mother, so there's every chance they will finally take Sam and I's advice and introduce the mother and have is, a story about her. And, is, and is the finale gonna have Bob Saget? Sleep. We don't know about Bob Saget. We don't know. It kind of has to, right? It has to end with Bob Saget by someone's bed, right? Like, yeah. From what well, I know, I'm telling you, they're on a the entire thing is like it's like Newhart. Bob Saget's gonna wake up. He's gonna be back on Full House. He's gonna like wake up Michelle and tell her about the strange dream he's been having all along. That would be amazing. But, uh... <laughs> and wait, the mother is dead on Full House, and Bob Saget's yeah. autistic. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, he's autistic. Snow globe, mother, dad, blah blah blah. Okay, <laughs> this isn't really about how I met your mother. I think we've said all we need to say about community. So why don't we wrap up here? Um, and before we leave, as always, we have to do the. Uh, the Rachel Tardis Memorial Award for Best Performance in the Week. God rest your soul. Um, and this week, uh, you know, we've had some fairly complicated tabulations, as we tend to on the show. Uh, we've so sent, much math. We've sent it through a lot of different people who who know what calculators are and how to use them. We did math. Are none of us. And we've come up with, uh, with a winner for the week. So the winner of this week's Rachel Tardis Memorial Award for Best Performance in the Week goes to Quivangene Wallace, who uh, yes. looks like she will not be a one-movie wonder. Um, we're looking forward to her. Annie, we're looking forward to hopefully having a great Oscar night for her, although, you know, that's probably not going to happen. But Quivangene, uh, yeah. come on down, get your trophy, get your small cash prize, and, and hang out with us, and we'll talk about whether you're going to sing in an Annie and whether Jay-Z is doing the music and how we all— Tell me how you live in a bathtub. And yeah, you can talk to us about the bathtub. So with that, guys, we're going to call it a week. Um, if you'd like, check out the website at ReviewBeNamed.com. You should follow us on Twitter at ReviewBeNamed. You should email us anything you want to talk to us about at ReviewBeNamed at gmail.com. And uh, just a reminder for everyone on the podcast and in the listening group, uh, we're returning to the ReviewBeNamed Movie Club next week. So we'll be uh, talking about The Killer Inside Me, which is available on Netflix Instant. So if you get involved in that conversation, watch the movie this week, and we'll talk about it next week. Uh, with that... This is the show, so we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.